Good morning. My name is Andrew Boring. I am the youth pastor here at Mission View Church. I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning, uh, worshiping together and diving into God's word uh, together. If you are new or visiting, uh, I want to particularly welcome you and thank you for coming this morning. It's so great to uh, be here with you. So one of the themes that we've seen so clearly in the book of Daniel is the fact that our God is sovereign. Our God is a very big God. Yes. <laughs> growing up, uh, growing up, my childhood home sat on top of a hill. And I remember when I was like four foot tall, you know, you get dropped off, off by the school bus and you walk up that hill, it feels so big, right? Maybe you can remember that or uh, you see it with your kids now. Uh, a quarter mile walk is very, very long and intense for someone who's four foot tall. Like, it's crazy. It seems like a marathon away. When you walk through Lowe's, the shelves seem like 100 feet tall to a little kid. To a little child, everything seems huge. As we then get older, or as we see with our kids, those big things seem to get smaller and smaller. But that's not true of things that pertain to our God. As we get older, the bigger the bigger we see our God. Why is this? Well, it's because we realize more and more how much we need God, right? The book of Daniel reminds us of that and shows us over again, over and over again, that our God is sovereign, that our God is in control, and that nothing and no one is bigger than our God, right? No, no fire is too hot to keep our God from doing his thing. No lion is so fierce as to touch what our God is protecting. And because our God is sovereign and in control all of the time, we have hope in our future, and we have hope in the future of his church. Israel has had a pretty rocky history as we look at Daniel this morning. Being in exile for years, you can only imagine the feelings of loneliness that they were experiencing. Their, their questions are things like, why are we in exile? Is our God still with us? Sometimes these are questions that we feel in our lives too. We feel like we're in exile or, or we wonder where God is in our lives. But the answer is that God is still with us. God is always with us. As we turn the corner in the book of Daniel, we're going to see a dramatic shift from where we were last week to where we're going this week and then the next few Sundays as well. Story time is over. So far we've seen Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stay faithful to God through several different trials. They refused to eat unclean food that they were commanded to eat by a king. They refused to worship a golden image, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace because of this. But God protected them. Daniel refused to stop worshiping God when he was commanded to, so he was thrown into a den of lions. But again, our God protected them. God's hand of protection has so clearly been with his people, and his hand of protection is still with us this morning as we look at our text. We've seen Daniel interpret several dreams so far in the book of Daniel. This morning, we're going to see him have his own. This morning we're going to be in chapter 7 of Daniel, and we're going to notice that this is very different than what we've been looking at before. 
Chapter 7 actually chronologically fits in between chapters 4 and chapters 5. So it's just after the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. But we're going to shift into the future. The rest of Daniel is prophecy. What will happen in the future? For Daniel, what's going to happen for Daniel in Israel? Their questions are probably things like, will we leave exile? Will we get to go back to Jerusalem and see Jerusalem again? For us, our questions about the future are probably a little different. They're more of, will my kids keep following the Lord? Does God know what's happening in my life? Is he active in my life? Is he, does he see what's happening in our world? Does he, does he have a plan that includes all of this? Daniel will deal with the big picture question of what does the future hold? Will our world get morally and spiritually worse? Is there any hope that it'll get better? What we've seen the past few weeks is that God is with us when we are in the fire and when we are in the lion's den. And knowing that to be true, as we turn to chapter 7, we see that our God is still with us for all of eternity. He's with us for all of eternity. Let's pray together before we dive into our text. God, you are a big God. You are sovereign and always in control, and we are so thankful for all that you've done for us in our lives. Thank you that we can gather here and, and sing praises to your name. And we can open up our Bibles and read your word and hear from you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. I pray that it would touch our hearts and encourage us, convict us, grow us, and mold us into being more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at Daniel 7, 1 through 12. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told of the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four great beasts came up out of the, out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stomped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns... And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne 
was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. All right. Now, as we see, this is not quite as straightforward as the chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel that we've been, in through, we've been going through the past few weeks. Those chapters were narrative. They were the unfolding of events, right? Here, what we have is a vision that Daniel sees, and in this vision, there's a lot of symbolism. It's not quite as clear. We read this, and we might not understand everything. We probably don't understand everything right away. But what do these beasts represent? What, is this, these, what are these verses saying? Well, these four beasts mentioned in this text are four kingdoms, and all of them are corrupt, and all of them will fall. So our point is, no corruption lasts forever. No corruption lasts forever. Beasts might be big. They might be scary. But beasts are powerless against our powerful God. These beasts that uh, we see here are actually a repeat of that in Daniel chapter 2 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. These visions in chapter 2 in Daniel 7 uh, are different in what happens, and the symbolism is different, but the meaning is the same. So this is a very similar meaning. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream with a statue where the head was gold, and the chest and arms were silver, and the midsection was bronze, and the feet and legs were iron and clay. And Daniel explained to this king that the head represented Babylon, and the chest represented Persia Medio, and the thighs represented Greece, and the feet represented Rome. Nebuchadnezzar was told that this prophecy was saying that there would be four kingdoms that would arise. His kingdom was the head, but three others would follow his kingdom. In Daniel 7, we are dealing with these same four kingdoms, but they're just represented differently. Here, Babylon is the lion that had Ing's wings. So Babylon is the first kingdom, the lion with, with uh, eagle's wings. Verse 4 shows us that its wings were torn off, indicating that it would lose power for a time, which it did. This lion is then standing on two feet like a man to show how Nebuchadnezzar becomes more humane after his humiliating experience of going crazy in chapter 4 that we looked at a few weeks ago. The second kingdom here is Persia Medio. And that is the bear in, in, in this chapter. And the bear has three ribs in its mouth, representing the three conquests this kingdom will go on. The third kingdom here is Greece. Greece is the leopard with four wings and heads. This leopard with wings shows how fast this empire was. Fast to conquer, fast to get massive, but also fast to crumble. Alexander the Great invaded, uh, the Asia, in, invaded Asia Minor in 334 BC and within 11 years conquered almost the entire Persia Empire, but then died and his kingdom fell apart. But it's the last empire here in Daniel 7 
that is important for us this morning. This last beast in this vision is not depicted with a whole lot of imagery. All of the previous beasts were described as animals, but not this one. Verse 7 describes it as being terrifying, having iron teeth, being vicious, and having ten horns. This beast is described in this way rather than as an animal because, quite frankly, no animal looks like this. No animal that we know looks like this and no animal that Daniel had ever seen looked like what he saw. This fourth beast is Rome. Rome was a cruel empire that had power and longevity unseen in previous times. The horns this beast had represented ten kingdoms that would come from this one kingdom. But one of these kings is a little different from the others. This one king rises above. This one ruler makes war with three other rulers, and he wins. By defeating these three other kingdoms, this one ruler, the little horn that is mentioned in verse 8, will subjugate all other rulers of the world under his power. He is not peaceful. In fact, he will violently overthrow these other three kings and their kingdoms. If he must use force, he will. This ruler is smart, clever, but arrogant. He blasphemies God and will use and will make war with the saints. And yes, the saints are you and I. This man will rule for a time. Now, if that sounds like it's gone a little bit past what we remember of Rome, that's because it has. <laughs> this beast is, has a bit of a double meaning. It represents Rome, but it is also pointing yet even further into the future to what is yet to come. When Daniel sees this vision, all of this is future stuff for him, right? All these empires had not yet happened. But for us, they all have happened except for this part. This part is still even in the future for us. It's referring to what 2 Thessalonians 2 calls the man of lawlessness and what 1 John refers to as the Antichrist. Yes, this is speaking of the end of days, the end of times. And this is the same beast that is described in Revelation chapter 13. It's really hard to study the book of Daniel without going to the book of Revelation as they're so intertwined telling us about things that will happen in the future. Revelation 13, uh, the description that's given there is equally as disturbing as the one we just read in Daniel. It describes a period of time where tensions are high and intensifying. There it says that this beast, this antichrist, will conquer the saints and has everyone in the world worship him. But remember, no corruption lasts forever. This evil, despicable ruler will rule. He will be powerful. He will have incredible control. But remember, our God is bigger. Our God is more powerful, and our God is with us. What we see next in this vision is the Ancient of Days, sitting on a throne, and he's wearing white, showing his purity. And now, this ancient of days, as we see, is God. He's sitting on a throne with wheels, and the, the whole thing's on fire, representing judgment, as this is the judgment that will happen at the end of days. And the books that are being opened are presumably the books that show the deeds of every person who lived. This is a throne of judgment. And that fourth beast, the ugly despicable, blaspheming Antichrist 
is killed and burned. That empire is destroyed. Its leader's body is burned and destroyed. The fourth kingdom is over. The remnants of the other three kingdoms remain on earth for a while, but they don't have any power. No corruption lasts forever. It's for a time, it's for a purpose, but it's temporary. Now that is something that can kind of be hard for us to wrap our minds around, right? If we're being honest, everywhere we look, if we want to, we can see corruption. We have a culture that is perverted right and wrong. We see injustices being called justices. It can be so easy to look at all of this and think, how can it get better? Can things really change? Injustices have been prominent throughout history ever since the Garden of Eden. It's easy to see corruption. When I was in college, uh, I was in an all-guys small group that met on Thursday nights, and one of the guys in the group was a bit of a, bit of a comedian. He was the funny guy. He was involved in the student group on campus that just had these shows. They were comedy shows, and he was just hilarious. Everyone loved being around him because he just made you laugh. With a straight face, he came to our group every Tuesday night and was trying to convince us all that the earth is flat. Now, people used to believe that the earth was flat, like hundreds of years ago, right? But it's kind of been scientifically proven that it's not flat. Like, we know the earth is not flat. It was so obvious that while we were laughing, he wasn't going to convince anyone, right? This argument was going to go absolutely nowhere. How ridiculous. Hearing flat earth grabbed our attention. And hearing the word corruption grabs our attention. But we know that a belief in a flat earth is unconvincing and leads nowhere. The same is true for corruption. Ultimately, corruption goes nowhere. It doesn't win. It won't win. No matter how much traction it gains or what it looks like, it will fail. Sin and corruption do not win. They're obviously prevalent in a fallen world, but they don't last. Why don't they last? Well, because we look at who's sitting on the throne in the verses we just read, right? That despicable ruler doesn't end up on the throne. Someone else is on that throne. Let's keep reading in uh, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So no corruption lasts forever because our God conquers the corruption. Our God conquers the corruption. God has power over chaos. There was corruption. There was chaos. This little horn, this evil ruler had power, but not anymore. What comes after his kingdom? A new kingdom is formed. Who's ruling this new kingdom? Verse 13 tells us that it's the son of man. Now, if you've been coming to Mission View for a while or you grew up in the church, you've probably heard that phrase, son of man, used before. It's frequently used in the Gospels. But it's usually not 
the disciples of Jesus who are using that phrase, it's usually Jesus himself using that phrase. We see in Mark 14 um, a clear reference to Daniel 7, 13. And it's Jesus saying himself, himself saying, I am that guy. I am the guy who is the fulfillment of that prophecy. I will have a kingdom that will be perfect. In Mark 14, 61 and 62, Jesus is near the end of his earthly ministry. And he's about to be crucified. And he's on trial before the high priest. And it says this, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming down with the clouds of heaven. Now wait, wait, what did Daniel say he saw in that vision again in, in Daniel 7? Oh yeah, that's right. He said he saw the Son of Man coming down from the clouds, being given an eternal kingdom by the Ancient of Days, who we know is God, the Father. Do we see how Jesus is saying here that I am that guy? Right? In Mark, he's saying, you've read about me in Daniel. I am that guy. It's me. I am God. I am in control. The future may look however it looks, but know this. I will make it complete again. I will conquer the corruption. There will be peace. There will be hope. There is hope. And we see all peoples worshiping him. Peoples from every people group, nation, language. This is glory. This is, this is the way it was supposed to be before sin got in the way. We see all people united worshiping Jesus, worshiping our creator. And Jesus is ruling forever. He rules here for a thousand years during the, during the millennium. This is the initial kingdom that is being set up here in Daniel 7 that precedes Jesus' eternal reign in the new heavens and new earth. Our God conquers the corruption. And because of this, we know justice is coming. There will be justice. There will be a new ruler over this world who is not evil, who is not corrupt or conceited, but in fact is pure and loving and just. And this should be an encouragement to us. Our world today is constantly talking about justice versus injustice, right? And we should all desire biblical justice. In our world today, we, there are many instances where we do see justice occur, right? Anytime a criminal is sentenced to prison for a crime they committed, that's justice. But we also know that there are sometimes instances where there are injustices in our world, right? Where we see a coworker lying at work just to make an extra sale, or where we see people taking advantage of elderly or other people. But if there is justice at all in a fallen world, then we can rest assured that in this new kingdom when Jesus is on the throne, there will be justice. Because he corrects culture. He corrects hearts. He turns hearts to himself. And what good news this is for us, that justice will be normative. There will be justice, true biblical justice, in the future for all of eternity. And knowing that, we should have peace. That enables us to have peace. Because our God conquers the corruption, peace is coming. Where 
Jesus rules, there is always peace. We see this all throughout scripture. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is this peace of God that we have, that we are to fix our eyes on, even in hard times, even when injustices occur, even when our lives are a mess, even when we see a future that looks uncertain. How do we have this peace? Why have this peace? Well, it's because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us and because of what he will do, we can try to have peace in our lives on our own, right? We can try to do it apart from God, apart from Christ, but it will always leave us empty. It doesn't last. And people do this all the time, right? You go and you buy your oils or you, you go on walks in nature, go to a spa. These things aren't bad in themselves. Like, I love going on walks in nature. I love doing that. But if that's where we're getting our peace, if that's what we're relying on to calm us down in our world, that ultimately will leave us empty. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross, bearing the judgment that you and I deserved because of our sin and our rebellion against God. Jesus died and suffered it for us. He paid the price. And then he rose from the dead so that we too may one day arise with him and be with him forever and ever. And by faith, we believe this and are saved. And we have to believe this, right? He did everything for us. Through him, we have peace that we are in God's hands, no matter what is happening in our lives or in our world. And we know that we will always be in his hands. We have peace because of what Jesus has done for us past tense, and because of what he will do for us future tense, because of what he has and what he will do. Jesus is coming back. This is why we have faith that justice will be served. This is why we can have peace and praise God for his grace, right? This justice of God does not give us peace at all if it weren't for what Jesus came and did the first time around. Jesus coming back is only an encouragement if we believe what he did the first time. Our text this morning heavily, or heavily points to, uh, to Jesus' 1,000-year rule followed by an eternal rule. This good king who rules justly, who brings eternal peace, is coming. And understanding these truths also reminds us that we don't have to judge others ourselves or punish others, right? God does that in the end. Jesus coming back to rule and conquer corruption frees us from taking on that burden ourselves and bringing sin into the mix, which we always do. We should fight for things like biblical justice in our world today. We should fight for peace in our church and in our community. But it also reminds us that ultimately, God will restore what only God can restore. And all of this is an encouragement to us. The problems we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, 
the stress you feel in the morning before you get ready for work, the anxiety you have about caring for your kids or juggling them to practices and games and recitals. But taking time to meditate on the fact that Jesus will rule for all of eternity and that we are part of that kingdom gives us a sense of peace. If our God is with us then, we know he's with us now. Let's keep reading in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kingdoms who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broke into pieces and stomped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horns that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and the judgment was given for the saints for the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom shall, shall ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court sat in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. We see that this vision terrified Daniel, right? His color changes, and he's thinking, what was that? What did I just see? Sometimes we share in Daniel's anxiety, but no matter how we feel, no matter what is happening, serve the kingdom that endures. Serve the kingdom that endures. We see here that the Antichrist will rule over Christians for a time, but not forever. He will blaspheme God. He will harass believers and make life miserable. But verse 25 says that this will only be for a time, times, and half a time. This time frame is also given to us in 
Daniel 12.7 and Revelation 12.14. And it, while it might seem unspecific, we believe this to be three and a half years during the tribulation. This man will rule, but his kingdom ends. His kingdom is temporary, and in the scope of eternity is really nothing but a speck. Sometimes we get so focused on the details. We narrow in on one aspect of life that is out of control or one thing that is stressing us out. We have something big coming up at work that we're just so anxious about. It's making us worry. Or we're having trouble getting our kids to where they need to be and we're just restless and sleep, not getting sleep. Or a house is a mess and we've just had enough. We've all been there, right? Big or small, significant or trivial, we've all felt this sort of thing. And sometimes these small details are the only thing that we think about. But when it comes to life, we only get one. And Daniel, Daniel's prophecy shows us that things do get bad for a time, but they will get better. Those little details can matter, but we have to keep them in perspective so we don't get too stressed out, so we can stay focused on what matters the most. When it comes to end times doctrine, the same is true. We can look at the events of the tribulation and this evil rule, this ruler, and start to go crazy, right? We can look around and say, maybe it's that guy, or maybe this is the end right now. But people have been saying things like that for ages. Or we can remember that this is but a speck in the grand scheme of time, and that no matter, and that what matters most is remembering whose kingdom lasts, whose kingdom endures, whose authority and power is unmatched and lasts forever, that brings justice and peace and joy and hope and intimacy with God, our creator. See, I want to focus on that kingdom. I want to promote that kingdom. I want that kingdom to fill my thoughts and my heart and go into my actions. We need to be aware of the details so we can plan for them but we must not stay there. Serve the kingdom that endures. And don't let fear stop you from serving the kingdom that endures. Because only one of these kingdoms lasts, and only one brings hope. There should be a call to live righteously, right? We are to be on the move. There are many people in our community that don't have this sort of hope. When they think about end times, they get scared. But we don't have to be scared. Are we modeling our Christian faith for them? Are we living our lives in a way that points other people to Jesus? Are we willing to live our lives in a way that honors God even when it disagrees with the world? God will one day redeem the world. We cannot sit on the truth that is liberating. So this is also a call to evangelism. Sharing our faith is essential, especially when we see in Daniel that our world will get worse before it gets better at the end. We share our faith in Christ because it is the only thing that saves. It is the only thing that can bring hope to our world. We don't fear because we know how this ends. We know the love and the power of our big God. There are times where our world might seem out of control or your life might seem out of control. There are times where, yeah, where our lives are out of control as well. But 
that doesn't take God by surprise. God is showing Israel, who is in exile in the book of Daniel, the future. Because God is still with them through the times of deep faith and the times of the struggle. And we may not always have control in our lives, but we know that God does have control. God is with us for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us, that you are always with us in times where we are just on fire for you, in times where we are struggling, in times where life is going awesome, we're just enjoying it, it's, so, it's a blast, it's easy, in times where tragedy strikes at every turn. We know that you are always with us. And Lord, we know that no matter what is happening in our lives or in our world, that you are sovereign, you are a big God who is in control, and we know that your kingdom lasts forever, and forever is a very, very long time. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your love and the grace that you have given to all of us to, to send Jesus into this world and to save us. Lord, I pray that we can just live our lives in a way more and more each day that honors you and that points others to you, Lord, because that is ultimately what matters most in our life and in this world, worshiping you and pointing others to you. In Jesus' name, amen.